This is episode 111 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The San Diego Union Tribune and the Coronavirus. This episode is both part of our series about journalism and journalists and also part of our near daily or daily series during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm really pleased to welcome a new guest to the show today. Tarsi Connors is with us from the San Diego Union Tribune, and I'll introduce her. She's been a journalist for 40 plus years, covering local, county, and state government in Maine and California. When she was in Maine, she wrote about the downfall of the city manager of Maine's capital city for fiscal incompetence and documented the grim conditions in the state-operated psychiatric hospital as the nation began its push to deinstitutionalize its mentally ill. In California, she was working as an editor at the former North County Times. Uh, She led a team that embedded with the Marines during the invasion of Iraq and the Battle of Fallujah. She worked for three years as managing editor of the San Diego Business Journal before she joined the San Diego Union Tribune in 2017. She says she took a brief detour and worked as the media relations director for the local hospital district. And she's currently overseeing the coverage of the Tribune of the coronavirus, although she says it's a paper-wide effort. And typically she supervises the reporters who cover communities outside the city of San Diego So welcome to the show, Tarsi. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I was really interested to have somebody from the Tribune come on. I interviewed a couple of writers for PEN America about a report that they did. I don't know if you saw it, about losing the local news. And so I happened to be talking about these two, um, well, several community newspapers, one, the Del Mar Times. And so they were talking about the San Diego Union Tribune and the work that they had done, PEN America had done with the Tribune and were really singing the praises of the paper. And I thought, oh, I should have somebody from the Tribune come on the show. So thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Of course. Can you give us some background about about the Tribune, how old it is and what phases it's gone through? Oh, many, like most media operations. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was um, created in 1868, so it's about 152 years old now, bought by the Copley family um, in 1928. Um, They started, um, and that was at the San Diego Union, and then they created the Evening Tribune um, in the mid-1930s. Um, they held on to the operation until 2009 oh. and sold it for financial reasons. It was not a good time. That was sort of the beginning of the 
downfall um, for media companies mm-hmm. because of uh, because of the internet. Um, it was sold to a private equity company called Platinum. Um, they held on to it for several years, and then a local um, developer um, businessman, Doug Manchester, bought the San Diego Union Tribune. Mm-hmm. Um, he also purchased um, the North County Times and promptly killed it. Oh. Uh, it was always the major competitor. <laughs> Right, um, I see. That's yeah, one way so, to do credit. <laughs> Um, and he kept he kept a lot of the not a lot he kept some of the um, reporters and photographers, um, but the the North County lost um, the bulk of its local coverage, which was really quite a shame. Mm. Uh, just as we were looking, oh, then we were purchased by um, the Chicago Tribune, the Tribune oh, yeah. Company. I remember that now. Um, and they are obviously in, in very, very dire financial straits right now. Mm. Um, just as we thought that we were going to go down um, the, the deep, deep hole um, with uh, massive cuts and layoffs, um, we were miraculously purchased by a billionaire in Los Angeles who is also a neurosurgeon and part owner of the LA Lakers. Oh, Patrick Sunsheng, and he promptly invested tens of millions of dollars in both us and the LA Times because his main his main um, goal was the LA Times. Um, he just did not want he had watched as the Tribune pretty much eviscerated the editorial staff, and that greatly concerned him because he felt that a very very important voice had been lost. Mm. So he bought it. Um, he invested lots of money. Um, he's been a remarkable owner. Um, and now uh, he is faced with one of the, the greatest challenges ever um, for media companies as we struggle to survive financially. We're getting as impacted as everybody else out there, um, while at the same time trying to give our readers everything we can that we know about the coronavirus and how it is impacting their lives. What do you mean when you're when you say you're facing uh, the struggle of of your times? Do you mean because of advertising revenue going away? Absolutely. I yes. see. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. We um like like all newspapers it's no secret, right, that if businesses can't operate, they can't advertise. So we have lost a tremendous um, amount of our advertising revenue. I see. We've got to we've got to find a way to compensate for that. I mentioned that I'd done that podcast about the importance of local news, and I've always been impressed that the Tribune puts out these uh, newspapers like the Del Mar Times, which I must say is very widely read by my neighbors. I'm always surprised when something shows up in that little newspaper about me, how many people say, oh, you know, I read about you in the Del Mar Times. It's really, it's, it's really interesting. That's, that's one of our weeklies. We have several weeklies um, that are um, very, very community centric. Like Del Mar, um, we have one that serves Solana Beach and Encinitas and Poway, and they get hyper local news. In those in those in those editions, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So, how does that model work for for you? Because th- those are free, but there is advertising, I presume, in them. Yes, you mean in terms of from a, a financial standpoint? Yeah, I guess so. Because they're so they're owned and put out by the Tribune, and and you share some staff. I guess. I, I guess I'm asking, why do you put out those newspapers? Um, because they 
fill a niche and mm. we are able to give readers the hyper local news that they want. We also put out a North County edition um, five days a week. That is ordinarily one of the, the bureaus that I oversee. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the crew there covers all of the communities in North County. Um, that's from Del Mar up to Oceanside, inland to um, uh, Julian and Escondido. So that's more hyper-local. Then we also put out a weekly publication called South Plus East for our South and East County communities. And that is more hyper-local as well. So we attempt to put all of the, the local news in those editions, whereas in the San Diego, that has local news in it, but it's more what's going on in the county, what's going on in the city of San Diego, subject areas that we cover, whether it be immigration, public safety, the courts, arts and entertainment, um, sports, poor sports is really suffering right now. Mm-hmm. So we give the the full package of every facet of everybody's life, whereas the, the weeklies attempt to get down on the ground level um, in people's communities. Yeah, boy, it's an amazing operation, very widespread and complex. I'll put a little plug in here, too, for Marcia Sutton, who writes for the Del Mar Times. She has written for years and years about the local schools, and I always enjoy her coverage. She's really an excellent writer and, and a good thinker. So I'll just put in a little plug for her because uh, I, I, we really appreciate her. I will let her know that. Thank you. All right. Tell us about the COVID coverage. So just tell us how things are going. How about we start with that? We finally, I think, have our footing. Um, Okay. I I, I think the first week um, we were all rather shell-shocked. There was so much. It was so fast moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And we went from being the way that we were, normal, right, going about our our everyday lives to within maybe seven to 10 days to our schools were closed, our businesses were closed, we were restricted with where we could go outside, we couldn't get the groceries that we needed. So it was, it was this amazing tsunami of um, actions that were taken that just absolutely upended everybody's lives. So we really had to hustle to try to respond to that. And at the same time, try to explain to folks what was going on. So once we got past week one and uh, we all recovered. (laughs) (laughs) Picked yourselves back up. (laughs) (laughs) We we, we got our, our rhythm and we established teams. And I pretty much became the team leader for coronavirus, in part because I am in charge of the health reporter, Paul Sisson, um, who is absolutely amazing and has developed just this remarkable command of the subject um, and can talk to any facet of it. Then I was um, uh, given our homeless reporter um, because the homeless population is a crisis here, um, as it is in other places. And that population was very critical. It's making sure that they were protected. Um, I don't know if you remember our hepatitis A crisis. Oh, I sure do. But my listeners probably don't. Right. So um, 
I think it was three years ago now, all of a sudden we had an outbreak of hepatitis A. It killed, I'm going to guess, uh, 40, 50 people, homeless people. It was it was pretty much targeted in the homeless population. And it, it forced the city of San Diego specifically, but other parts of San Diego County to finally address the horror of homelessness um, with people on the sidewalks, uh, you know, doing all their personal business in, in full view of everybody. So so it was a really unfortunate incident, but it finally forced local leaders um, to deal with that crisis. So Gary had all of that insight. So he was wonderful to bring on to the team. I have Morgan Cook, um, who was one of our investigative reporters. Um, she is the reporter um, who exposed Duncan Hunter's oh, misspending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've pretty much just, I have, I think I'm about to say about 10 or 12 reporters. And we meet every morning at eight o'clock uh, doing a Zoom and map out uh, what we're going to do every day. What are the, what are the trends that we're seeing? What are, what are the poignant stories that we need to tell? What are, you know, what's the testing? How are the hospitals holding up? But as, as, as you made reference to it really is a company-wide, especially newsroom-wide endeavor. We are organized by teams. So there's, this is prior to me (laughs) taking over COVID coverage, before this pre-COVID. Okay. I had uh, responsibility for all of the communities outside the city of San Diego. So I supervised all those reporters who covered all of those cities. We have a public safety and courts team. We have an arts and entertainment team. We have an immigration and enterprise team. We have a sports team. We have um, a video and photography team. And we have a graphics team. All of those people are fully involved in our daily coverage. Um, And including, I must also give credit to our copy desk, um, which is absolutely amazing with putting out the the, the print edition um, every day. And we meet as a as a newsroom. All the team leaders meet um, every day, twice a day, nine o'clock in the morning, um, to talk about what each reporter is working on that day, and then four o'clock in the afternoon to revisit what we did during the day and to look ahead to the next day, um, so that we can appropriately deploy reporters. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Thanks for that inside, uh, yeah, uh, inside baseball view there. <laughs> So what are the major stories about the coronavirus in San Diego now? Um, There are several. Um, Clearly, uh, it is healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. And they're they're actually facing a dual struggle. They are trying to make sure that they are adequately um, equipped with personal protective equipment, PPEs is the acronym that everybody is using. Um, One of the things that happened when this pandemic um, hit the U.S. was not only a run on toilet paper, uh, but a run on um, the N95 masks that are so very, very crucial to healthcare workers being able to do their jobs. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the hospitals eliminated all elective surgeries in effort to free up hospital beds for what has been called the anticipated surge of patients, where all of a sudden the virus is broadly in the community and you get more cases and more people have to get ICU care. But in doing that, they they furloughed or laid off a whole bunch of healthcare workers who weren't needed right now. So it's been really unfortunate that we have some who are on the front line and others who are waiting in the wings um, for the surge. That is another 
story that we're working on right now. And you can hear everybody on every station, both national and state, both, you know, Governor Newsom and uh, President Trump, talking about trying to flatten the curve, which essentially means getting the coronavirus under control, getting it so that all of the cases are manageable, and they don't overwhelm the hospitals and make it impossible for us to properly care for people. Also dealing with people having to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Schools are closed. How do you educate your child from home if you don't have the resources to do that? How do parents care for their children, care for their families when they have been laid off, when their businesses have closed, when they've lost their health care? There's just this amazing human component that plays out every single day. And it's it's very, very poignant Mm-hmm. to try to capture just the angst and the fear and anxiety that the community is feeling right now. Is there anything unique about San Diego that you see happening here that's different from other cities? They're really well organized. I mean, it's really incre- it's really incredible. Um, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm really impressed with the way that the county um, has stepped up. I see. They have their daily press conferences. Um, They have all these folks working behind the scenes, um, trying to deal with everything. They have been amazingly transparent for the most part, Mm. Um, put together all of these charts and graphs and everything that they present every afternoon at 2.30. It's also on their website. So the fact that they have been responsive, the fact that they have been transparent, the fact that they mobilized to bring together all of these various constituents to respond to all of the different communities out there that need help is, is really quite remarkable. Hmm. That's it. That's good to hear. Tell me about the reporters who are covering uh, COVID-19. What, what kind of challenges are they facing? Well, um, they're working from home, um, <laughs> which is tough, even with Zoom, which is nice. I, I really like being able to see everybody's faces every day. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same as sitting in a newsroom and yelling across to each other and just having that interaction and, you know, just being able to tell somebody, you know, get in your car, go out and do something. Um, it's not that simple anymore. If they go out, they have to be properly attired. They have to have their N95 masks. They have to have their gloves. If they're going, like Paul Sisson, our healthcare reporter, when he goes into the hospital, he has to be completely outfitted. I see. As you see on the news or, you know, uh, pictures in the newspaper. So they have to be really mindful of their own safety and their own health. And when they do go out sometimes, you know, it's, it's six to eight feet um, away from the people um, that they're interviewing. So it's, it's, it's trying to stay safe uh, while also reporting their jobs. Yeah, I've been wondering. So a lot of the writing obviously can happen at home and even interviewing and that kind of thing. But it's the photographs. It seems like, wow, that must be really hard to get photographs of things without actually being there. Well, they, you know, the, the photographers go out. I mean, that's one of the remarkable things about journalists. Uh, a story needs to be told. A story needs to be told. We find a way to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't do it with disregard for the safety and health of our employees, but journalists are the ones always on the front line. And if there's a story, then we have to go where the story is. Can you tell us how a story might develop and what the process is to get it published? Sure. A lot of what we do is because the community reaches out to us with a tip. 
Okay. Or they ask a question. Everything that we do is based on how well our sourcing is and how well the community trusts us. So we'll either get a source or somebody from the community to reach out to us. Um, An example would be someone sending us an email and saying, I understand that um, so-and-so tested positive for coronavirus at such and such a nursing home. You know, my, my mother is there. Is she safe? Can you check this out? So we would, um, and, and this is pretty much what we've done. Number one, we ask the county um, at, the, at the afternoon press conference or via an email if, um, if we have to. They won't confirm specific sites. They have a few times, but they're very reluctant to do so. Hmm. So then we call the actual nursing home and its parent company, and they've actually been pretty um, responsive with confirming that they have, yes, we have a case and here are the measures that we're taking. I see. So, you know, it's in a couple of times we've actually gone out to the nursing homes and, you know, obviously we can't get in because nobody is allowed in, not even family members are allowed into nursing homes anymore or hospices or hospital for that, for that matter, which is... I think sort of hard for your, your to wrap your head around that you can't be with a loved one when they're sick. Yeah. A lot of the COVID coverage is about science. And how do you uh, ensure that your coverage is accurate? Well, I have um, veteran reporters who have been doing this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. They um, regularly um, attend national conferences Um, where they meet fellow colleagues from other media operations. They get together with scientists and researchers and, you know, are, are, are kept up to date. They have really good sources at our research institutes and hospitals who they are able to go to and vet their information and ask if it is correct. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're really good. I mean, they're, they're, they're not singular um, in how they get their information. They're very, very methodical about checking online, checking with their sources, checking with the experts to make sure that we capture the nuance because sometimes the nuance is the most important thing, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's not what you might think. It's that little nugget that's behind it that is absolutely critical to help people understand the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So what's the reception been like? Are a lot more people uh, subscribing and reading uh, the Tribune or what are you seeing? Our digital subscriptions, I believe, have almost doubled, if not more than doubled. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. And we have much more data traffic um, on line. So yeah, no, that's been that's been really encouraging. I, I'm I'm glad that folks are coming to us. I'm glad that they know that they can come to us and I hope they keep coming to us. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to tell the listeners about what makes the Tribune special? You know, in my in my career I have found that all newsrooms are wonderful places. It's I think one of the reasons that I love the profession so much. It is a a welcoming, um, a collegial atmosphere in newsrooms. Mm. Uh, they are full of compassion. They are passionate, and they care very, very deeply about what they do. And they care very, very deeply about getting it right. I know sometimes the public doesn't understand that, but we go, we actually go to great lengths to try to cause no harm, to try to tell the truth, to try to present the facts. We're not perfect. 
Um, we sometimes make mistakes, but every single day, you know, there are hundreds of people who are trying to give the best news that we can in the most um, respectful way that we can. And as news consumers, do you have advice for us about how we can support journalism? Yes, subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Call to action. (laughs) And my last question here, uh, when we come out of the pandemic, what would you like to see happen right away to help fund the news? Oh, well, I'd like for our advertisers to come back. I know that they're going to face hard times, but mostly it's just... I would like for people to continue to subscribe and to keep supporting what we do. I think that's really important and not, not go away because you think that this crisis is over and it doesn't matter because it matters every single day. Well, that's the the thing, right? It's like there are certain times when we become very hungry for news and then other times less so. But if you don't sort of feed the media during the times uh, when you're when you're not so anxious for it, it won't be there when you are hungry for it. So, <laughs> but that, but that's a, that's a very real threat, and I think I think that that's what the the public needs to understand is without your support, and that means your financial support, we go away. And if we go away, you don't get your hyperlocal news. You don't get to know what's going on. You don't get to know what what the the decision makers um, are are doing and how that's going to impact your lives. Yeah. So before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners, how they can follow your work or anything else you'd like them to know? Um, Just... Visit us online, and if you have questions, if you have concerns, um, please reach out to us um, because we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And is the best way to do that through the website? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, thank you very much, Tarsi, for the work that you're doing, especially now when it is so dangerous, but in general, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.